Do you find it challenging to get organ meats into your healthy ketogenic lifestyle? Don't you wish you could get all the benefits of consuming these traditional superfoods chock full of nutrients without having to cook or eat them? Well, let me introduce you to the brand new grass-fed organ complex supplement from Paleo Valley, makers of the deliciously juicy grass-fed beef sticks. They use gently freeze-dried ingredients, including all grass-fed, grass-finished beef liver, heart, brain, and kidney to give you a flavorless, power-packed punch of nutrition you won't be able to replicate beyond eating all of these organ meats in your diet. Each bottle contains a 30-day supply of easy-to-swallow pills with the fillers or flow agents added. They're gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO. Go to paleovalley.com LLVLC and use the coupon code LLVLC to get a generous 20% off your order. Try it today to get a 60-day, 100% money-back guarantee and see how you like the grass-fed organ complex for yourself. That's paleovalley.com slash LLVLC. Hey Ketonians, in case you hadn't heard, Carl and Richard from the Two Keto Dudes podcast, along with a bunch of their keto friends, are going to make history by turning the U.S. town of New London, Connecticut, ketogenic for the weekend of July 15th and 16th. KetoFest promises to be not only educational, but a whole lot of fun. Jimmy's Fasting Talk co-host Megan Ramos and Jimmy will be speaking as part of this event, along with Eric Westman, Jeff Gerber, Ivor Cummins, and a bunch of other great keto thought leaders. In addition to these great talks, they're having an outdoor keto barbecue with a pig picking, live music, walking, running, and cycle tours, and cooking and fitness lessons. They've got the local restaurants and the mayor on board as well. New London in July is a popular destination, so you need to nail down your hotel room and get your tickets as soon as possible. Tickets are on sale now at KetoFest.com. That's KetoFest.com. Coming up in episode 1262, Dr. Jake Kushner. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author you're like the LL Cool J of podcasting Jimmy Moore hey hey guys we're back here on the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore and today I'm very privileged to welcome to the podcast a gentleman by the name of Dr. Jake Kushner he's leading the effort in diabetes and endocrinology at Texas Children's Hospital Uh, He is a McNair Medical Institute Scholar and the Chief of Pediatric Diabetes and Endocrinology at Baylor College of Medicine. His overarching career goal is to help children, adolescents, and young adults, all with type 1 diabetes and other endocrine disorders, to live long, healthy lives. So he's been out there doing his thing. He definitely uh, is the man to go to when it comes to type 1 diabetes. Jake, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Jimmy. And do you Gee, have I'm a not website? sure I'm 
I, I do. Uh, I'm on the Baylor College of Medicine and Texas Children's site. Actually, my Texas Children's site is better, better than the Baylor. But if you Google me, you Google my name, you will immediately find it. J-A-K-E-K-U-S-H-N-E-R for you Googling. But yeah, I was like, do you have like a pithy one? Like I'm about type1diabetes.com? Or <laughs> well, I'm on Twitter as well. Yeah. What's your of Twitter course. handle? Jake Kushner, all one word, MD. Oh, Jake how, how rem- memorable that is. So, <laughs> well, excellent. Well, tell us a little more about yourself. Um, you know, tell us how you got to be wanting to be in the medical profession to begin with. Okay, so um, I'm a pediatric endocrinologist and uh, I care for kids with diabetes. And I, my original exposure to go into medicine was through my mom's sister, my maternal aunt, who is a um, pediatric nurse. And as I was growing up in the Bay Area in San Francisco, I would spend a lot of time talking to her about the experiences that she had caring for children. And I was just so inspired by that. So when I I was thinking about careers. I actually decided I wanted to be a pediatrician rather than going to medical school to become a doctor. I really always had it in my mind's eye that I wanted to be a pediatrician. And then at the same time... Because you love kids? Yeah, because I love kids and I love being around them. Yep. I had younger uh, younger cousins that I spent a lot of time with at, at family gatherings. And I, I just love the idea of advocacy for children and the, the selflessness of it all. Yeah. And then at the same time, both of my parents are PhD scientists. And um, I, I was immersed from an early age in the culture and the actual practice of biomedical research. My mom is a retired neuroscientist. My dad is still running a, a, a pharma company. It's a little startup in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a professor at UC San Francisco in molecular endocrinology. So I had these two competing visions of either becoming a hardcore <laughs> scientist or becoming a pediatrician. And oddly, I ended up doing both. I bet Christmas was fun at your house. Let's exchange papers. and. <laughs> <laughs> my wife uh, talks uh, fondly about the first time she met my parents. Yeah. Um, and so we we brought her. It was a Sunday, and she she came over to my parents' house, and she and she talks about being at the dinner table and hearing all these conversations about DNA and molecular biology and words she couldn't thinking, pronounce. Yeah, thinking this is a really really interesting environment. <laughs> these people are all wackadoodle. Yes, <laughs> but she stayed anyway. So yes, that was that was thirty years ago. Wow. So. Let's talk about type 1 because it traditionally has been called juvenile diabetes. That's typically when type 1 hits is, you know, when kids are very young and it hits them at a young age. But we're actually in recent years starting to see it hit the adult population where type 2 used to be called adult onset diabetes. And now even that's hitting the kids. It's like type 2 is now hitting kids and then adults are now getting type 1. What do you think's happening in our culture, in our food supply, in our lifestyle that's causing all this to happen? It's a great question. How's that for a loaded question? (laughs) That's a loaded question. So type 1 diabetes is um, the most common and uh, sort of life-threatening chronic illness of childhood. And and it affects about 1 in 300 kids by the time they become adults. But 
Uh, and overall, we think about 1.25 million people in the United States have type 1 diabetes, and it's insulin requiring. So these are entirely healthy people, and they are um, living normal lives. These are kids, and they're they're going to school, and they're doing whatever they do, and all of a sudden, they begin to lose weight, and then they're drinking a lot and peeing a lot, and uh, essentially, their glucose has risen so high that it's that it's acting as an osmotic diuretic, drawing water out of their bodies. And so they drink a lot just to keep up. Osmotic, what does that word mean? uh, um, By osmosis. So it's actually pulling fluid. It it is holding on to fluid. Wow. Um, And so these are molecules that are sitting in the blood, and it's, again, dragging water out with it. Wow. So all all the glucose that's in their urine is dragging water, and then they're peeing, and then they're drinking, and they lose weight because the insulin, of course, is essential to be able to to, to um, maintain fat mass. And in the absence of insulin, they become ketogenic. Is this because the beta cells are starting to die off and or become inhibited yes. in some way? Yes, that's right. So there's an autoimmune destruction of the beta cells, and we think that's mostly via the T cells, but also the B cells. And... Then there's a really interesting thing that happens whereby the glucose begins to rise and then the beta cell itself begins to misbehave and it can't secrete insulin in an environment that has a lot of high blood sugar. Mm -hmm. The way I think of it is that this is important that we call this the so-called honeymoon period. And what happens is the glucose rises to a level where the beta cell simply becomes overwhelmed. The, The role of the beta cell is to sense glucose so as glucose begins to rise to, to really seriously high levels, the beta cell simply becomes overwhelmed and um, and it loses the ability to secrete insulin. And it's probably a temporary phenomenon. So what uh, and, and it may even be reversible. So this thing we call the honeymoon uh, in type 1 diabetes comes when we begin to give insulin and drive the blood sugar down. And what we see is that the beta cell restores its capacity to make insulin. Really? So, so with a little a little insulin and or improvements in diet, i.e. carb restriction, we'll talk about this later, yeah. you can see people with type 1 diabetes begin to make more and more insulin. Regenerating beta cells. Maybe not an atomic regeneration, but yes, re, yeah, a functional uh, recovery nice. of beta cell activity. So, so this is a problem for kids. And by the way, these kids become adults, and it's a it's the most common life threatening childhood acquir- uh, acquired illness. Um, but then, more recently, we're discovering that quite a few. Uh, Adults have this disorder as well. And I have a friend in England. His name is Richard Oram. And he has an amazing study that that is currently in peer review that shows that probably uh, the rates of type 1 diabetes on an annual basis for all humans is the same, i.e. people continue to get it in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s at about the same rate that they did as children. Really? the difference is they make more insulin when they're diagnosed, and they are often viewed to be type 2 diabetes. And mm. so we think what's happening is they're being mischaracterized as type 2, i.e., but in fact, they have type 1. And, it, and it's it's really quite important because in some cases, they respond really well to insulin. Jake, is there a test that someone can uh, do? Uh, I don't even know what kind of test it would be, yeah, but a, a test that would look to see if the beta cells are producing even a little bit of insulin still? Well, you can do 
through this uh, pancreatic autoantibody profile that will allow you to tell the difference in between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, first okay. of all. Yep. And then the other thing is you can do, you can actually measure your so-called C-peptide. And insulin is this complex hormone, and it's cleaved into a bunch of little pieces. And one of the pieces that it's cleaved is, is called C-peptide because it's at the end of the protein. And people who have type 1 diabetes who still make insulin – uh, make C-peptide, and you can get a C-peptide test either in the blood or the urine, and the amount of C-peptide that you make is a reflection of the overall amount of insulin that you make. Even if you're taking insulin, you can get a C-peptide test. Hey guys, it's Jimmy Moore here. Just wanted to let you know about a brand new company that my Keto Talk co-host, Dr. Adam Nally and I created earlier this year. It's called Keto Living. Visit ketoliving.com and you'll see these brand new line of supplements that we have created for your low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, ketogenic lifestyle. We currently have two products, the Keto Essentials Multivitamin and the Berberine Plus and coming soon, a high-fat shake. But for the month of May, we are doing a special on the Keto Essentials multivitamin. When you buy two bottles, you get one free, a $47 value. Now, what's in the Keto Essentials? It's literally everything and the kitchen sink for your ketogenic lifestyle, including alpha lipoic acid, taurine, inositol, polyphenols, EGCG, high gamma mixed tosiferols, coenzyme Q10, methylated folate, and so much more. Again, check it out at ketoliving.com and click on the May special for Keto Essentials Multivitamin Adult Formula. Buy two, get one free. Keto Living. Imagine if you had a personal trainer help you choose all your favorite low-carb keto foods such as delectable eggs, savory meat, tender crisp veggies, and select nuts and cheeses. Now imagine having that personal trainer deliver all your meals perfectly portioned, pre-cooked, and packaged so they're all ready to eat in three minutes or less. You might think that a service like this is only for celebrities who can afford to eat this way, but you'd be wrong. Personal Trainer Food delivers low-carb keto foods for less than $15 a day with free shipping. Here's the deal. You fully customize your menu to get meals you're going to love. Jimmy's tried their Juicy Angus Burgers, Frittatas, Smoky Ribs, and Jimmy says they're absolutely delicious. And the vegetables are bursting with flavor and nutrients. But you don't have to take Jimmy's word for it. You should see the thousands of four- and five-star reviews on Amazon and Groupon. Personal Trainer Food is the easy, convenient, and delicious way to live your low-carb lifestyle. Your meals are delivered in bistro steamer bags, so all you do is pop them in the microwave for three minutes. Heat, eat, and done. No shopping, prep, cooking, or cleaning, saving you time and money. If you're looking for weight loss results, Personal Trainer Food has a long track record of success and a staff of trainers and weight loss coaches who know their way around the low-carb keto life, there to answer all of your questions at no additional cost. Most trainers charge 50 to hundreds of dollars for just one hour, but with Personal Trainer Food, you get trainer-selected meals delivered to you for $15 a day or less. No shady contracts or hidden charges, just great food delivered to you with free FedEx shipping. Order today and you can have your meals by tomorrow. And with this killer deal just for listeners of the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show, you're going to want to get online at Jimmy keto.com and use the discount code LLVLC at checkout to save $150 on any 28-day meal plan. 
you been interested in trying the new cutting edge technology of exogenous ketones, but didn't know where to get started? Let me introduce you to Perfect Keto. Visit perfectketo.com slash Jimmy and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto was created by a functional medicine clinician who developed this unique formula for maximum efficacy. It's great tasting and the most affordable exogenous ketone supplement you can find that raises blood ketone levels up to 1.5 millimolar to help increase mental focus, boost your energy, and commence fat burning. It does not contain any soy, dairy, gluten, artificial sweeteners, binding agents, or anything that doesn't directly improve your health. The synergistic power of a low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat ketogenic diet with Perfect Keto Exogenous Ketones will have your body running optimally. Perfect Keto is available in delicious chocolate sea salt and peaches and cream flavors. Each serving comes with 11.38 grams of high-quality beta-hydroxybutyrate for maximum ketone boosting while adding in magnesium, potassium, cocoa, stevia, and vitamin C for extra micronutrition. Again, try Perfect Keto for yourself at Perfect Keto com slash Jimmy and be sure to use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 15% off your order. Perfect Keto. Now, earlier you mentioned part of the uh, strategy for even a type 1 diabetic. We know it's very well known in type 2 and then just in general health for people. But in type 1 diabetes, uh, actually a carbohydrate restricted diet with more healthy fats, moderated on the protein uh, actually is a good therapy for type 1s. But unfortunately, trying to talk about ketosis to a type 1 diabetic <laughs> who's been told to fear ketones, how yeah. do you have that conversation with those kind of patients? Well, uh, first of all, I, I want to just back up for a second and talk about the medical um, sort of uh, field as a whole and, and, and how it relates to this. Cause, Is rant you know, mode coming? <laughs> well, so, so yeah, so, so um so I got interested in type 1 diabetes and I met all these people who became some of my closest friends in the world who have type 1. And one of them uh, is, is a, a mother of two kids and she talked to me about what her experience was like having type 1 diabetes and trying to safely deliver a baby and not have birth defects. And we know that as your blood sugars rise, your baby has a higher and higher chance of a birth defect. So, so my friend Kelly went... And learned about the, the Dr. Richard Bernstein's book, mm-hmm. and so she said she followed the uh, the Bernstein Diabetes Solution. And, and when I first met her six years ago, I said, "Well, what's that?" And she goes, "Oh, you got to read it. It's really cool." She said, "There's this thing. It's the rule of small numbers." And I read the Bernstein book, and I was blown away by it. And as I be t- began to talk to my friends, I said, well, have you heard about this? This is amazing. They're like, oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, it's totally bonkers. Yes. They're eating all this fat, you know, and they're at risk for do- going into diabetic ketoacidosis. Yeah. And they're probably going to get heart failure and blah, 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 blah. And it was like there were these two different universes, and I couldn't get them to reconcile one another. And I would talk to uh, to nutritionists in our center, and they would look at me and they're like, "Oh no, are you one of those Atkins people?" <laughs> <laughs> wow! But the reality is, um, low carb is. I mean, you can say what you want about uh, about what's not known, and we know that a lot isn't known, right? 
Yeah. So we don't know what the long-term health consequences of living a low-carb lifestyle with type 1 diabetes are. Uh, I think I can say with confidence that we don't know that. By the way, we also know uh, pretty confidently that there are major consequences of living a high-carb lifestyle with type 1 diabetes. But still, we have not ever really carried out good experimental studies of low-carb nutrition in type 1. So I'm sort of uh, – I'm, I'm treading on thin ice when I talk about low-carb because all I have are these amazing anecdotes. Yeah. And few published studies around type 1, but what I see over and over again are these narratives of people who've had these amazing experiences where they use low-carb nutrition and they're able to essentially achieve normal blood sugars, euglycemia. Without gobs of insulin. Yeah, no, and, and with so, – so the standard therapy – let's just talk about what happens to a typical uh, kid with type 1 diabetes. Sure. A 10-year-old uh, who has – Two months of uh, weight loss, drinking a lot and peeing a lot, brought in uh, to the pediatrician by a parent because of concern. Pediatrician finds glucose in the urine, uh, diagnoses diabetes, sends the kid to the ER. They come to the ER where the ER admits them to the hospital for teaching for uh, insulin therapy, basically to learn how to take care of this. And then they find themselves in the hospital and this whole team comes to them and explains all this stuff they're going to have to do. And in two or three days, they get this crash course in glucose homeostasis. And they, they learn from bedside nurses. They learn, they're evaluated by a social worker. They will get to meet with a diabetes educator and possibly also a nutritionist. And then, and what they learn is they need to eat a precise and fairly large amount of carbs because they're going to be given a precise amount of insulin, but that the carbs should be roughly the same and that the insulin should follow the carbs. Mm. So I've actually had families say to me, we eat more carbs now that my child's been type, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes than before. Wow. Uh, and I'm thinking, what? And part of it is that our nutritionists um, in the field are really uh, are are, tra- are trained uh, according to these traditional techniques. Their they, their training goes back to these this traditional advice, you know, from the Institute of Medicine, AMDR, the Acceptable Macronutrient Distribution Range, mm-hmm. and they give a nutritional advice based on this uh, uh, very much uh, ancient, outdated uh, numbers. And, Is it the uh, 130 grams of carbohydrate because the brain needs to function on that much glucose? Is that part of the argument? Yes, that is. And uh, actually, if anybody, it, it, it's really amazing. There's no science behind that. <laughs> There's no science behind it. Essentially, it's this, it's this, it's this silly argument that goes... Um, you have to have some carbohydrate to feed your brain. Um, and if you uh, were to reduce the amount of carbohydrate and eat too much fat, what will happen is you will eat a lot of fat and therefore you will get fat. And moreover, you will eat a lot of saturated fat and you will put yourself at risk for cardiovascular disease. Yeah. And all of those things are unacceptable. So we have to reduce your your fat intake. And actually more recently, you know, even the... The, the USDA guidelines have removed the upper limit of fat. Right. Uh, and so. Hallelujah. The, 
<laughs> if, like thankfully. And yet the problem is the field hasn't caught up to it. Right. And it's not like we're all operating under some sort of American Diabetes Association prescribed speed limit on carbohydrates. Uh, they've actually also removed the upper limit of fat consumption. But the problem is no one really understands or, or is willing to embrace this idea of low-carb nutrition. And amongst What's my the barrier? Well, it just it, it induces what I call cognitive dissonance. It just it's it's complicated. It's an idea that doesn't quite make sense. The first time you sit down to a meal, if you've been raised on um, a cognitive diet of uh, <laughs> low fat nutrition, and then all of a sudden you're fed crazy ideas that saturated fat doesn't matter and actually the more fat you eat probably the better yeah it, it feels a little strange to sit down to a meal that's comprised of, of bacon and eggs and some cheese and avocado is it like trying to say hitler was a good guy rather than an evil guy <laughs> it's just weird yeah exactly you can't really change that mentality in people's heads it, it, it's just there's a cognitive dissonance that occurs it, it and um, the nutritionists are really well-meaning people. They have yeah. devoted their lives to the to the care of of, of humans. And, and you know, the, we have these wonderful nutritionists in in our center. But when I start to talk to them about low carb, they look at me like, "Oh no, there he goes again." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we've been playing around with this, and um, I I met R. D. Dykeman. I know he's been oh, on yeah. the show. Um, Him and Dave. I, <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy, and I, and you know, I began to read about this several years ago, and uh, I'm, you know, I, I started reading more and more, and started talking to some of my close friends who have type one about this, and they began to play with it, uh, and um, in many cases, the experiences were were just utterly transformative, and I will emphasize that my earliest clinical experiences around low carb and type one were all with. Uh, these many close friends that I have who happen to have type 1 who are, who are sort of involved in the type 1 community. Yeah. And so if you're on a standard diet, and let's say that they, that 10-year-old had followed the nutritionist advice and they're eating 75 to 85 uh, grams of carbohydrates per meal, mm. what happens is they have this terrible glucose flux and their, their sugars can be as high as 400 after meals and can be as low as 50. And they really have a hard time uh, identifying the right dose of insulin. And then they come into the clinic and they're feeling frustrated. And this frustration actually has only gotten worse with CGM, continuous glucose monitoring. Right. And the reason is people now have a much more granular view of their inability to achieve normal blood sugars. Mm. And they come to me and they're like, this is I, – I, this frustrates me so much. Like, what else can I do? So a typical pediatric endocrinologist perspective is to say, oh, well, you need to try harder. <laughs> Blame the yeah. victim. So what we're doing, if that's the case, is we would say, oh, you know, have you thought about uh, more carefully timing the dose of insulin? Or maybe you should really much more carefully measure the amount of carbohydrates in your food. So we have this idea that these patients would be living in like a like a diabetes intensive care unit <laughs> where their every last activity is regimented and precise. And if they only did that, then things would be well. But the reality is these are free-range human beings. They live, they have lives, and 
Um, diabetes doesn't define them. Diabetes is just one of the things in their lives, and they have other things that they're interested in. So the problem is we set them up for failure, and in the worst cases in medicine, we blame them for their inability to achieve glycemic perfection. And then they it, blame themselves. Exactly. What did and, I do wrong? Well, I, I'm trying everything I know, and it's just not working. And the problem is they're not giving al- being given alternatives. And and they blame themselves, and in many cases they struggle uh, with um, with feelings of doubt and anxiety, and actually Which that stress um, doesn't help either with the blood sugars. Terrible. So you know, maybe forty to forty five percent of the children uh, that 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 we follow in our center struggle with some form of anxiety or depression. Wow, and this is true nationwide. So. Um, it's really a, a difficult thing to have a life-threatening illness and to have to sort of work this tightrope of, you know, being of keeping keeping your blood sugars balanced and not being too high and too low. Um, and I think that that burden of illness is probably the thing that makes me the most upset. It's taking normal human beings and forcing them to follow this terrible regimen and, and to feel overwhelmed. Well, and that's where online uh, communities of support for people with type 1 diabetes becomes so important. And unfortunately, if you go to, say, the ADA site or other diabetes, type 1 diabetes uh, type of groups, there's just not a lot of really good support. They're all kind of whining about the same things that you are. <laughs> and so yeah, it's, it, it's good that R.D. Dykeman created Type 1 Grit online. So if you're exactly. a Type 1 and you're listening to this or you have a kid who's got Type 1 and you're just kind of at your wit's end, maybe you're listening to what Jake is having to share and going, yep, that's me. Well, guess what? There is support online and they're really good people over there. And I adore R.D. Dykeman and all that he's done. So go check them out. Type 1 Grit on Facebook. Just type, type out T-Y-P-E-O-N-E-G-R-I-T and you will find them. Yeah, that's a, an amazing group of people. Um, it's worth pointing out that there are two Facebook groups for Type 1 Grit. Yep. One is simply the Splash page, and the other is a private community. Yeah. And to really get the goods, you have to apply. And uh, RD has, has kept it closed because he wants to make sure that the conversations are As he should. constructive yeah. And, yeah. and supportive. And it's an amazing community of people who are – routinely achieving nearly normal blood sugars. Um, and it's almost it's a really curious experiment of nature, if you will, right? These people all got together. They decided to support each other and they're learning. And you can see them learn in real time um, and they become more and more sophisticated about what they want. And, you know, you see pictures of food. You'll see pictures of continuous glucose monitoring traces. Yep. You'll see happy kids playing and it's it's a, a really interesting narrative as they sort of break down all the mystery about living with low carb and and, and type 1 if you love great olive oil do i have a deal for you as one of my listeners you're entitled to receive for $1 listen to this for just $1 a $39 bottle of one of the world's finest artisanal olive oils and what makes this oil really special It was just fresh pressed at the new harvest, so it's bursting with more harvest fresh flavor than any olive oil you've ever tasted. It's yours for just one buck to help cover shipping as your introduction to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. 
and there's no obligation to buy anything now or ever. But what exactly is fresh-pressed olive oil, and why is it so much more flavorful than store-bought olive oil? The problem with store-bought olive oils is that they can sit on store shelves for months, even years, growing stale or even rancid. The olive, after all, is a fruit, and olive oil is similar to a fruit juice in that it's much more flavorful when fresh-pressed. And that's what's unique about oils from my friends at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They rush their oils direct to your door by plane and special delivery truck straight from the latest harvest. This means that you, your family, and lucky guests can enjoy top-of-the-line artisanal olive oils at their peak of harvest fresh flavor and nutritional value. This is great news for us low-carb lovers because pure fresh-pressed olive oil has zero carbs. Zero carbs. It adds whole layers of amazing flavor to your favorite low-carb dishes, your roasted vegetables, healthy salads, grilled meats, delicate fish, toasted nuts. Oh, yeah. I can tell you from personal experience, once you try this fresh-pressed olive oil, you'll never go back to store-bought again. Try it yourself and see. For your 39 bottle for a buck, go to jimmyoliveoil.com. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. One more time jimmyoliveoil.com Want to enjoy a sweet cookie and still stay in ketosis? Two friends did just that with Keto Cookie. Christopher and Victor went on the ketogenic diet, lost fat, and felt amazing. But they wanted something sweet and convenient for their busy lifestyle. So they created Keto Cookie and now want to share this sweet satisfaction with you. Is this really keto? Low Carbers tested Keto Cookie with their glucose monitors and were amazed by the results. How is this possible? Keto Cookie is made with non-GMO almond flour, is naturally sweetened with erythritol and monk fruit extract, and has a healthy amount of grass-fed butter, coconut oil, and MCT oil to fuel your day. With less than 2 grams of net carbs, it's the perfect on-the-go snack to keep you energized and ready to inspire the world. Enjoy your chewy childhood favorites like chocolate chip and the cinnamony snickerdoodle, gluten-free, guilt-free, and bake-free. To discover more about Keto Cookie and how two friends are inspiring people to eat smarter but sweeter, visit KetoCookie.com and be sure to use the promo code LLVLC to receive 15% off your order. And follow them on Instagram for exclusive giveaways and specials at Keto cookie. You obviously have seen quite a few of these anecdotes and and patients yourself uh, that have used kind of this low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic approach for their type 1 diabetes. What do you think is the number one mistake that a type 1 makes when they try to go on this diet? Well, I would say that the biggest thing is it, it takes time uh, to to really begin to to learn all the tricks. So it's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to stop eating carbs, but then often people will can will consume quite a bit of protein, and yeah. then the protein will turn to glucose, and they get these blood sugars that rise up in the two or three hundred range, and they're wondering why. What too much protein is bad? What I haven't heard that. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because you see, you know, some people say it's low carb, high protein. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, I've seen that. Right. But protein ultimately turns to glucose on a 0.6 ratio. So if you're consuming. Let's throw the nerdy word out there for them. Yeah, gluconeogenesis. (laughs) So if you're you're consuming, you know, 100 grams of protein, you're going to end up with 60 grams of carbohydrate and it's going to leach into your body slowly as you break down the protein. And so um, I find that families 
don't think about the protein that they eat as ultimately a substrate for gluconeogenesis. Mm-hmm. That, that's one thing. I guess the other thing I would mention is that um, families often think of it as like, okay, I'm going to try one meal. And uh, what I would say is if you really want to understand the potential impact of low carb uh, and you have type 1 diabetes, try a low carb weekend. Sit down, go to some of these websites uh, and and think about some meals that are that are mostly fat by calories. Plan a series of of meals from a Friday night to a Monday morning, and just say, okay, I'm going to try it. It's an experiment. We'll eat it as a family, and then sit down on Monday morning and look at your blood sugars and just ask yourself, how do I feel? And I think that families often think, okay, I'm just going to do it for a meal, and then they're like, oh yeah, uh, okay, I sort of get it. My blood sugars are okay. But to do it for a weekend mm-hmm. um, and to give it a real college try is is something else. And, you know, I, I have a friend who did this, um, and I spoke to him the following week, and he was crying on the phone. And he said, you know, this is the first time in my life where my blood sugars have been normal for 24 wow. hours. He said, this has changed my life. And actually, I have another story like that. My, my friend uh, Marshall, who has had type 1 diabetes since he was four, who's one of my dearest friends. He's the son of one of my uh, close friends. Um, I taught him low carb, and he went on low carb, and he called me up, and he said, Jake, this is the first time in my life where I, I realized that there was a chance that I might not die from type 1 diabetes, wow. that there was actually hope for me. And I think that that kind of hope is really wonderful to give people. I mean, don't let diabetes control your life. Hmm. It's just, you know, the burden of illness is just so great. And the problem is humans struggle to change their habits to sort of get out of whatever they're doing and find a new thing. And like uh, going low carb sort of, that sort of sounds like, oh, I'm going to read, you know, all, uh, all of Dostoevsky's great works. <laughs> Dr. Husky? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I would much rather have families think, okay, I'm just going to try this for a weekend. And then I'm going to sit down and honestly evaluate what it felt like. Well, especially if they have a CGM, it'd be very easy to see the data through all that experience. Yeah, and it's actually kind of difficult to do this without a CGM because yeah. you need a fairly precise understanding of where you are and where you're going. And, and on a consistent basis, exactly. So here we are. You're doing your thing. By, by the way, are you rare in the type 1 diabetes world? Are you like a snowflake unicorn <laughs> uh, that <laughs> you're kind of one of the few people that's pushing this? Or, or do you have some colleagues that do the same thing? You know, I'm like a snowflake in the hot desert. Wow. <laughs> um, we'll blow so, some cold air your way. <laughs> yeah, it's really odd. Um, I got, again, I, I I don't know of that many other people who are interested in this. We have a young doctor here um, in our group. His name is Dr. Daniel DeSalvo, who um, also has type 1, and, and, and uh, he's very much interested in low carb. And there's a few people around the country who are interested in this, but... Um, you know, we've been trying to get together an interest group of pediatric endocrinologists who understand and appreciate type 1, and I'm astounded by the, uh, the, the lack of people who understand it. Well, and, and with the advent of keto coming on really strong here in the last year or two, it seems to me there's going to be more and more interest. Uh, I even just, as of the recording of this on this day, heard that uh, wrestler 
um, Stone Cold Steve Austin actually oh, wow. is going to start using a ketogenic diet. He announced it on his podcast. So it's like huge things are happening out there and people are going to become more and more interested, which means that Jake Kushner is going to be a very busy man because <laughs> all these type ones are going to go, well, what's this keto thing about? Can I do that with my type one diabetes? Well, yes, you can. <laughs> But but people should have the option. And again, yes. I think one thing that we've seen is that medical centers are especially resistant to this. And if I had to predict anything over the next two years is that we will see more and more conflict in between patients who want to explore low carb yeah. and healthcare providers who refuse to give it. And that's a shame because there really is an opportunity for healthcare providers to learn and understand uh, these tools. And not only refuse to give it, discourage the patient from even trying it and scaremongering them into right. big, long words like ketoacidosis and all this kind of stuff, which just they don't even want to give it a try at that point, which is a shame. It's a shame. And, and, and you know, again, we should be um, offering this ultimately to, to families. I, but, but to be fair, there is real scientific unmet need. And if I can, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, please. So we need better studies to understand the natural history of people who have type 1 diabetes on low carb. And uh, to your audience, this is probably going to sound silly and unnecessary, but I would like to have proper studies that can merely test the impact of low carb nutrition on glucose control. The more, the and, better. <laughs> and, and people in the audience are like, well, duh, Jake, yeah. if, you, if you eat less carbs, your blood sugars will be under tighter control. But... For the medical field, oddly enough, those kinds of studies don't exist for wow. people with type 1. And so if in my dream, we would, have a, we would have funding from major agencies to do really well-designed, prospective, randomized, controlled clinical trials where you take people who don't know anything about low-carb and you deliver low-carb to them in some robust, reliable way. Well almost like yeah. Yeah, like, like, like what Nusi did, what Gary, Gary Tamps did. Right. And then, and then measure glucose and also measure all the other things that doctors like me might be worried about, like yeah. cholesterol and blood pressure and, 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 and also, for that matter, well-being and mental health. And, and then... And then learn from these experiences, because ultimately for us to get the medical field excited by this, we're going to have to show them using objective, well-designed studies. And I, I continue to be you know, impressed by the anecdotes around low carb and appalled by the unmet need in the academic world. Mm -hmm. And we've got to solve this as, as researchers. But we have that in general with the low-carb diet. It was kind of ostracized for a little while. And thankfully, over the past 15 or so years, we've seen this building up of the data. And the data is becoming quite compelling. As each study comes out, Jake, we're seeing more and more people saying, oh, well, if it's good for this, let's look over here at this. And if it's good for that, let's look at this. And so I think we're seeing this kind of cumulative effect of the evidence happening. And I'm quite surprised we haven't seen a lot more with the type 1 diabetes. But but I do, do think the thing that's paralyzed everyone in this discussion is just the K word and everybody's fear of it within oh, the context of ketoacidosis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, within the context of ketoacidosis, whereas ketosis uh, as a nutritional therapy, it, yep. it just seems to me it's just crazy that we still 
get so fearful because ketosis from a nutritional standpoint, low carb, moderate protein, high fat, is going to make the blood sugars go down very naturally and not hypoglycemic. Whereas if you have ketoacidosis, it's very, very, very high blood uh, sugar and blood ketones, which has nothing to do with low carbohydrate nutrition. So <laughs> it's kind of weird that we're still kind of banging this same drum. Uh, Dr. Atkins is probably rolling over in his grave, rolling his eyes at all this. Well, there is one issue I want to talk about with type 1. Sure. Um, we use ketones as a test, as a biomarker, if you will, for for life-threatening insulin deficiency. So if somebody is on an insulin pump, they have very short-acting insulin that is infusing into their body continuously. That's a so-called basal. And then they use short-acting insulin to cover meals as necessary for carbs and protein or to correct blood sugars. Mm-hmm. And if the pump... Uh, plugs and it stops delivering insulin insulin effectively, they can quite quickly slide into diabetic ketoacidosis. Mm. So that's a serious problem. And um, we use ketones, the the ketone meters that that the people uh, on your podcast use were originally like the Abbott ketone meter that was pioneered for the use in type 1 diabetes. Oh, I know. And it's still only uh, wanted to be used in that realm. When I've called Abbott telling them that some of us want to test, we're not type 1s, but we want to test for nutritional ketosis, their verbatim statement back to me was, we don't care about that. We only care about helping type 1 diabetic patients to prevent ketoacidosis. That's it. Yep. But, but but remember, uh, ketoacidosis is scary, and it really is a yeah. life-threatening thing. And yes. uh, if uncontrolled, it can lead to cerebral edema uh, and damage the kidneys and even death. Yeah. And so, the, so every parent has a fear about uh, about about ketoacidosis. And so, we spend a lot of time trying to work with families to talk about ketoacidosis. And by the way, we also take care of some teenagers who can't reliably take their insulin, who will take some insulin or skip some insulin. And, you know, I mean, teenagers struggle with lots of things in the world. Um, and uh, type 1 diabetes is one of them. So, if a parent is, has sees a kid, a teenage kid with high blood sugars, they need to be able to use ketones to figure out if they're in trouble. So one of the anxieties that the field has is losing this biomarker for life-threatening insulin deficiency with nutritional ketosis. And also, there's a complete misunderstanding that if you are eat, if you have nutritional ketosis, that somehow you're going to be more likely to go into diabetic ketoacidosis. I don't think I, I haven't seen any objective evidence that that's true. It's one of the things we must test. It's one of the things that it's a it's a really compelling reason to do a proper clinical trial, right? When the, one of the major safety events you'd like to do would be to give low carb, high fat uh, nutrition to people with type one diabetes and ask, are they more likely to develop diabetic ketoacidosis? If that were to occur, that would be really scary, yeah. And we'd have to find new strategies to reduce the that likelihood. Hmm. Well, Jake, you're definitely doing your part to help get the word out about this uh, therapy for type 1 diabetics. And uh, thank you for all your great work. And thanks for being here today on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. It's my pleasure, Jimmy. Thank you so much for all that you do. Coming up next time on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show, Norgid Gaudis will join us again to talk about her latest book, Primal Fat Burner. 
Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. Disc of Life.